Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. So we share our message this morning. Um, I want to focus on Memorial Day and just taking some time to uh, honor those that have given their lives for our country. And if you have uh, anybody in your family that has uh, given up their life in service, in service to America, would you just stand? Anybody at all? Anybody in your family? Nobody here? Oh, we got one. Okay, yeah, we got a couple. Awesome. Yeah, we just want to celebrate that. And, and why we want to honor that is because it's not only the person who sacrificed their life, but it affects spouses and children and cousins and uncles, and right? It affects so many other people because when you lay your life down, um, there's people that were doing life with you and that were sharing life and that their hearts are gripped by those lives. Um, I'm reading uh, Ronald Reagan's diary. And while he was in office, he kept um, some pretty neat diaries and, uh, and kind of wrote some things out. And uh, today, on uh, this is almost the exact same day. This was uh, on, on Wednesday, May 27th, Ronald Reagan. And uh, he says that he, he boarded uh, Air Force One at Andrews. And I flew up to West Point where we helicoptered. And we drove to the stadium. He says, can there be anything more stirring than a West Point graduation? The speech was well received. I shook 900 hands. And then we returned to the White House and all of its problems. <laughs> but for a moment, he was away and he was at this West Point graduation. He says, is there anything that grips the heart and stirs inspiring things inside, like a West Point graduation. There's something about being around military that just, for me, it makes me want to stand up a little straighter. It makes me wish I had my shirt tucked in a little tighter. Maybe I ironed it a little bit more or at all. Um, just those sort of things, it just kind of calls up a standard. And here's Ronald Reagan, who had been around the most inspiring of all leaders in the world and who he himself was. And he says, there's nothing that moves the heart like being at West Point for the graduation. And as we're moving into graduation season and also as we're getting ready to celebrate Memorial Day, man, there's just something I think, hopefully, that's patriotic, that comes and awakens alive inside of a Christian's heart. And I want to share five points that I believe that we as Christians ought to celebrate soldiers, and even as Quakers, where perhaps we're a little bit cautious about this conversation, historically, maybe not as much anymore, but to see, are there any comparisons in being a soldier as what Christ would call us to be as we fight this good fight of faith? Maybe for most of America, what Memorial Day weekend is, is you get a day off. 
You can do some yard work, maybe plant some flowers, do a cookout. Maybe you're hoping to watch a car race. Probably not going to happen. You are pretty fired up for the NBA playoffs. Potentially not going to happen. It's just a different year for sure. Um, But could we just for a moment focus what is a good Christian's response to those that fight in war for us? I read an article from Kevin DeYoung. Uh, this was from last year's Memorial Day. I just want to pull out a couple of the points even that he mentioned. If you will, flip with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we see kind of an interesting passage of Scripture where Jesus here, I'm sorry, not, a, not Jesus, but John the Baptist is talking. And where John the Baptist is He lays out a few things that I think are are helpful. Luke chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 7. It says, God, uh, I'm sorry, it says, John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is a big line. Produce fruit that keeps with repentance. Repentance means that I've turned my life a different direction. I once was pursuing these things. I once had passions for this. But I repented. It means I did a 180. Now what I'm doing with my life is I'm heading this direction. These, this is where I'm moving. He says, keep with the fruit of a repented life. Keep moving in this direction. And so then they start asking questions. Well, what should I do? What should be the fruit of my life as I'm moving in this direction? Good question, huh? And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Look at the different groups that are going to start asking questions. So the crowd is gripped. And they say, well, what should we do? What should be the behavior of our life if we're going to continue in a life of repentance? John answered, the man with two tunics, he should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Then the tax collectors, they also came. To be baptized. And they said, teacher, what should we do? So we've got the crowd. Now there's a specific group, the tax collectors. What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. How about that? Wouldn't you like to have a prophet of today speak to tax collectors? Stop it. (laughs) That's what he said. Stop. Don't, Don't collect more than what you should. You're like exposing your people. Then some soldiers came. And asked him, what should we do? I love this question as soldiers because their hearts are gripped. And as a soldier, do I live in conflict knowing that maybe I'm defending some, some rights or some, some ideologies? Am I defending even the right thing right now? And am I taking life? Is blood being shed at my hands? I, I don't know the conflict personally, but I do know men who and women who have wrestled. Am I taking someone's life. And here is John the Baptist given the opportunity to tell soldiers you need to stop doing this and don't take any more lives. 
But what does John say? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. Fascinating response. Don't be harsh, don't exhaust your people, and be content with what you're paid to go out and do your job. I just want to say, for those who have fought, for those who have family, and maybe there's a conflict, I would say I'm grateful for those that defend in a very evil world, defend people who can have and exercise freedoms like we have here today, that we have the freedom to gather and the freedom to worship. Even as our government has put a lot of shutdowns and restrictions on America, I reached out to a local officer and just asking him, hey, what do you think? What are your thoughts on us getting our church back together? And he said, I think y'all should have been meeting weeks ago. And I think you should have never stopped meeting. And I'm tired of, of the church as a whole leading from the back. I wish the church would lead from the front. And to, and, to, and to move. He said, you have constitutional rights. You have a constitutional right to have a peaceful assembly. You have a constitutional right to worship. And if you're going to exercise your rights to worship peacefully and assemble together, who are we to come against the Constitution of the United States? I thought, man, I'm so glad that we've got today's soldiers that wear blue that are out on the front lines that are promoting the freedoms and the liberties to be able to worship in a country like this. I don't know about you, but Gosh, do I love this country. And I love a response like that. We, no doubt, live our lives based upon the highest constitution between God and his people. But we also have a pretty rocking constitution in this country that defends the freedoms that we have to worship. So I would say that being a, a soldier is not a sub-ghetto part of the Christian neighborhood. Being a soldier is a part of what it takes to be a Christian. So keeping in the, the fruit of repentance, John the Baptist says, do your job, be content with what you're paid to do your job. I like that response. On the second, the second one here, this is kind of a, of a neat thing. Dick Hensley, and if, and if Dick is watching, Dick sent me an email this week. And it's about the Arlington Cemetery. This question was on Jeopardy, and they asked this. How many steps does the guard take during his walk across the tomb of the unknowns? And all three contestants missed it. This is kind of an awesome answer. I want to show this picture here of a soldier who's guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier, and there's... The, also, there's tombs of the unknowns. They take 21 steps, and the 21, it alludes to the 21-gun salute. And the 21-gun salute is the highest honor given of any military, foreign and dignitary. The second thing that they were, were asking, how long does he hesitate after his about face to begin his return walk? And why does he wait he waits 21 seconds, the same reason as the 21-gun salute. Why are his gloves wet? 
His gloves are moistened to prevent him from losing grip on the rifle. Does he carry his rifle on the same shoulder all of the time? And if not, then why? He carries the, sh- the, the gun on the, sol- the shoulder away from the tomb. After he marches across the path, he executes an about face and moves the rifle to the outside shoulder. They do this rain or shine and sometimes even with snow or shine. Here is a soldier who is pacing back and forth and the movements are so exact and so uh, sharp and, and even uh, uh, harsh movements that the head doesn't even hardly move with the whole body. So he can have two inches of snow <laughs> piled on top of his hat because it's not like he's ever putting his head down. His chin is up. He is ready. And not only in a time like this, whenever it seems like it's okay, but also check out this next picture. And maybe you can't see the details, but that is a massive storm. And this is Hurricane Isabel. And I want to tell you a story about this. How often are the guards changed? They change every 30 minutes, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the physical traits for you to be allowed to be a guard, they're limited. For a person to even apply for a guard duty at the tomb. He must be between 5'10 and 6'2. The waist cannot exceed 30 inches. They must commit two years of their life to guard the tomb. They live in a barracks underneath the tomb. They cannot drink any alcohol on or off duty for the rest of their lives. They cannot swear in public for the rest of their lives and cannot disgrace the uniform or the tomb in any way. After two years, the guard is given a wreath pin that is worn on their their lapel, signifying that they served as a guard of the tomb. There are only 400 presently worn pins. The guard must obey these rules for the rest of their lives, or they have to give up their pin. The shoes are specially made with very thick soles to keep the heat and the cold from their feet. They are metal heeled plates that extend to the top of the shoe in order to make the loud click noise as they come to a halt. I'm sorry, there are no wrinkles, folds, or lint on the uniforms. Guards dress for duty in front of a full-length mirror. The first six months of duty, a guard cannot talk to anyone or watch TV. All off-duty time is spent studying the 175 notable people laid to rest in the Arlington National Cemetery. A guard must memorize who they are and where they are entered. Every guard spends five hours a day getting his uniform ready for guard duty. In 2003, as Hurricane Isabel was approaching Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Senate and the House, they had taken two days off with anticipation of the storm. On the ABC Evening News, it was reported that because of the dangers of the hurricane, the military members assigned as Uh, on duty to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier, they were given permission to suspend the assignment. 
they respectfully declined the offer. No way, sir. Soaked to the skin, marching in the pelting rain of the tropical storm, they said that guarding the tomb was not just an assignment. It was the highest honor that can be afforded to a service person. The tomb has been patrolled continuously 24-7 since 1930. You see, there's something about being faithful at the post that God has called you to serve. There's something about showing up every day. Faithfully, sharp, excellent, bringing your best, rain or shine, sickness and health, bringing whatever you've got to the forefront, right? There's something I believe that comes out of even Philippians 4, 8 where it says whatever is noble, whatever is of a good report, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is honorable. Let's think about these things. I think that the Apostle Paul would have been fired up about something like this. I think that being a soldier is executing the same standards of excellence we would hope to see in the soldiers in the army of God, that they would bring it each and every day. Another point, the life of a soldier can really demonstrate, I believe, some of the highest of Christian values. Our movies that we watch today and some of our wartime movies, no doubt, sometimes can exaggerate and maybe even highlight the atrocities of war and the blood and the gore of having to kill. But there's also many heroic acts in history of, of war that truly are suitable for admiration. And we should think about some of those things. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And soldiers, when they head off to battle, they're full of courage, they're full of excellence and strategy, they're laying their lives down, maybe even fear, maybe aching because they're leaving their home, their family, and yet they go. They answer the call. They respond to what they signed up for. Another part, military service is one of the most common metaphors in the New Testament to describe the Christian life. We're to fight the good fight of faith. We're supposed to put on the full armor of God. We're, we're supposed to serve as good Christian soldiers in the life to Jesus, when we think about this kind of a mind, we think that Christians, no doubt, we've been called to serve as soldiers. Another point. The love of country can truly be a good thing. I think we've got to be careful whenever we pledge our allegiance to any certain thing that's outside of Jesus Christ. But let's not be confused. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have a love for your country. As Christians, we operate as dual citizens, right? We're citizens here of America. We're citizens of heaven. And one day when we transition into heaven, we're not going to be just completely washed of our language. We're not going to be completely washed of our skin tone. It's going to be all tribes. You're going to represent a tribe. It's going to be all tongues. You're going to represent a, a native language. It's going to be all people groups. You're going to represent a people group. You're going to represent America in heaven. How cool of a thought 
is that. We have dual citizenship. We're citizens on earth. We're going to be citizens in heaven. And that kind of a mindset makes me think, man, while I'm here, I want to be all here. I want to be all in as an American. I remember one time I'm standing outside of our, uh, of our youth ministry room in Crown Point, And one of my good buddies, Lonnie Dyer, we're, we're walking out of the door. And here comes like a Hardee's to-go bag or something like rolling through the, the yard. And he walks out and he's mad. He walks out and he grabs it and he picks it up and he says, this is my father's house. This is my father's land. I'm like, whoa, bro. Like, I understand. I'm not a litter fan either, but man, there's some, like, some passion to you about littering. And he was like, we got to take care of what he's given us to steward well this land, you know, this earth. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm really starting to get it. And man, it just hit me. It's like, while I'm here, I want to be all here. I want to be all in on America. And not to just promote Americanism, but to promote the good things of America, a godly place that we can have the freedoms to worship the way that we can. And to own it and to steward well. There's nothing wrong, I don't think, with having a passion for where Jesus has planted us. And if he's planted us here, like he has maybe even specifically in Fairmount or Somerville or the, or the, the Grant and, and Madison County area, then let's own it. And let's make it shine, right? This morning, I went for a jog. And as I'm running down, I, I jog down Main Street. And it, like this patriotic thing just kind of hits my heart. And I'm looking at these banners of all of our hometown heroes. You guys been down Main Street in the last couple of days? It's awesome. And it says hometown heroes and it lists their name. And it's got a picture of the soldier. And I saw several names from our church family. And I, the years that they served and it says World War II. World War I, Korean War. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I went down to the end, and I got down to the, to the point, to the peninsula. And I, and I just walk up to, like, some of the, the tombstones or the, the, the memorials that we have, and I'm reading names, and, oh, my heart's just welling up. And I walk around, and I sit in the gazebo. I got Wrigley, my golden retriever, with me. And, uh, and he's just sitting, and he's just looking up like, okay, what are we going to do next? Like, what's, what's happening? And I just sat in that gazebo for a minute. I love this town. I love those that would serve and lay their lives down for my family. I love the fact that we've got this, mm, this energy and patriotic. There's nothing wrong with having a love for soldiers that defend the country you live in. It's powerful. It is awesome. And as a special thank you to Alyssa and Carla who pulled, a, pulled this off, it is awesome the amount of work that they did there's several other people that went into it but specifically in our church family here they did a lot of work to make that happen even now whenever I go probably the most the song that you've heard the most in your life is probably the national anthem you can't go to a ball game you can't listen to you know it's it just like everything starts with the national anthem I've heard that song thousands of times and still I want to stand I want to look at that flag for me, I don't clap until the song is over. Now we start clapping of, at Land of the Free and Home of the River. We just start clapping. Let's just get the song. Let's go play the ball game. It's like, man, I don't want to take my eyes off that flag. I'm just thinking. I do not clap. And so I don't put my hat back on until the song is over. Oh, my gosh. There's just something about it. Right? I don't worship the song. But, man, the song does move something in me. Right? And I think it's good. 
I think it's good that we love where God has planted us. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We want to love the fact that we live with places that have armies that will defend our rights as humans, the rights of men, the rights of women. There's many nations that they don't care about the rights of women or children. Man, we want to live and defend the rights that make our country good. And last point here. I believe that the facts of history eventually and over the course of time will demonstrate that over the whole, the United States military has been a force of good in the world. At times, obviously, I think we've stubbed our toe. We've, we've missed it. We haven't always been awesome. But as a whole, I believe that the, the U.S. military has been good in our world. And an often quoted Memorial Day speech, this was given in 1884 by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. He said this. He ended his speech with this. Our dead brothers still live for us. And they bid us to think of life, not death. Of life to which in their youth they lent the passion and joy of the spring. As I listen, the great chorus of life and joy begins again. And amid the awful orchestra of seen and unseen powers, the destinies of good and evil, our trumpets sound once more a note of daring hope and will. I would think that the American soldier on a day like today would not want for the history of America to focus on death. But for the history of America to focus on living forever. The goal of them laying their life down was not so we could look at their death. The goal of them laying their life down so that America could live far beyond their life. I want to show this clip and we'll wrap with this. This is a clip at the end of the movie, Saving Private Ryan. And it just wells something up. And he asks this question as he looks at Arlington National Cemetery. He's just gripped with the, the, the lives of his brothers laid down. He says, did I live a life that was worthy of their sacrifice? Let's show this clip. Chief of Staff. with you, I, I wouldn't share how I feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, 
damned. Captain John H. Miller. It's hard to hear, but he said, as he's looking at the at the tomb or at the uh, the graveside there, he says, "Every day I've tried to earn the sacrifice you made for me." And his wife comes up and he says, "Tell me that I lived a good life." She says, "What? Tell me that I'm a good man." Mm. Anybody want to go to Washington D.C. or Virginia? Like, oh my gosh, let's just—I want to go. But there's just something that just grips the heart. And I just want to tell you, in the same way that they've laid their lives down in a sacrifice, let's not waste the sacrifice. Let's love our country and let's give ourselves to our hometown and to our, to our school, to our local government, to, to, to our local communities and our, and our people here. Can I also say this? The greatest soldier to lay his life down being Jesus Christ. And let's not allow that sacrifice to be in vain. Let's own it and say, man, because of what you've done for me, not that I can earn it. I'm not trying to earn my way back or trying to be a good enough person, but I do want to live the same way sacrificially that you laid your life down for me. Let's stand as we close here this morning. I want to pray over us. And, and also, if there's anything practical that we can do, I just, I like to do this. If I ever see a service person in uniform at a restaurant, I want to buy their meal. I mean, what is it to buy somebody's sandwich when they're laying their life down for you? Um, and, and for their family, because their families are going through the stress. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's staying a little bit longer to make sure the door is open for them. Maybe it's just swinging by their table and just saying something, just something. Acknowledge the sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for our country. We thank you for those men and women who have laid their lives down so that we could stand here today and be free. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you have laid your life down so we could live free. We honor and we thank you and we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't have any piano players, so we are just dismissed and we're released. And uh...
So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast. Thank you.